Hello. Massive show today on this Thursday, July 29th, obviously. A lot of guests, a lot of good conversation. I can't thank you all enough for allowing us to penetrate your ear holes. If you enjoy this by the end of it, please be a friend and tell a friend. If not, which I don't think anybody's going to not like today's show. I mean, maybe. It's a good one, though. But if you don't like the show by the end of it, please don't tell anybody. Just act like it never happened. Let's get to it. We are one week and a few hours away from NFL football. Yeah! Now, obviously, it's not the regular season, uh, which is good NFL football and actual NFL football. And as somebody that got a chance to almost play in the game that is a week and a few hours away from today, the Hall of Fame game, uh, it is nothing like actual NFL football. And I think we all realize that about uh, maybe halfway through the first quarter of the Hall of Fame game. But Mm -hmm. let's not bury that yet. Let's get excited that NFL players will be back on a field one week from today. Let's get excited that we'll get to see legends of the past and the NFL get celebrated and get immortalized forever in Canton in the Hall of Fame. I'm excited about it. I hope you are as well. Training camps are happening all over the place. But before we get to all of that, I think we do have to make an announcement. We have three guests on today. What? Three? Hey, we have been chatting during this show about we went out Mm -hmm. and allegedly found great bookers. Okay. Yeah, here we go. Gold standard, if you will. Okay. I didn't know how I felt about you know, the whole booking world, we have dabbled in it in the past and it had been terrible. Normally, the only way the show works was with me actually texting people or Zito somehow having a connection with somebody that he went to high school with that yeah. did a robbery with somebody that potentially had yeah. a baseball player friend that was roommates with somebody that was in there. Zito and the connections we have in this room have, have helped us. But whenever you have a daily show, OK, you can get to a point where I think you get sick of booking people every single morning whenever you wake up. I got to that point. I, I got to that point. All right. And it was, you know, is it me getting soft? Yeah. No. Yeah, you know, Tim McPhee, whenever he was a truck driver, those hours were the same every single goddamn day. That's right. Okay. He didn't get to a point where he was like, I'm going to take off my morning rot. All right. <laughs> and then I'm going to go do the afternoon. He was also a moving truck driver, a mover truck driver, Oof. by the way. So you're talking about like the two worst jobs, basically, put yeah. together. Truck driver, the amount of dedication and time that you have away from your family, isolated alone on those long hours. Like, very thankful for all the logistics people out there and the truck drivers out there. Thank you so much. Backbone of America. Stay out of the fucking left lane. Please. Thank you. You know how heavy your, your truck is. You know that this speed that you're, this confidence that you're finding in your truck and your speed right now is strictly because you're on a decline, okay? Mm-hmm. There's an incline coming. It's fucking Pittsburgh, all right? Get over there. No big deal. But we appreciate the hell of the truck. Tim was also a mover. So he was oh. moving places yeah. into the truck and then driving said truck across country, then unpacking it and moving in again. He moved four times for every trip he made. He made thousands of trips, okay? Oh. So whenever you're talking about worst jobs of all time, Tim McAfee, I think, had it for a large, it. Yeah. a large portion of my childhood, Jay's childhood in there. Then he got into the wood business and everything like that. So I think him hearing me say, like, you know, I'm tired of waking up and doing one part of my job that has made this show successful and kind of delegating that to somebody else. I think Tim is a little bit like, hey, that ain't the fucking kid I know. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, I, I think there is a chance that Tim isn't thrilled about this. And to be honest, I don't know how I felt about it, especially as it was just weeks and weeks of failure. Here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, and the show, was the show slipping away? I, I don't think so, but maybe it felt like there, we were not doing our listeners and viewers right. I didn't think we were doing them right with what we normally 
normally did with who we normally got a chance to speak to and everything like that. And a lot of people have sent me positive messages that listen and uh, watch this show, which I appreciate because there was a couple days ago where it was very terrible. And I started to feel a certain way about people that listen and watch this show. But nonetheless, a lot of positive ones say, hey, you, you don't need guests, dude. You have a good time. I want to let you know we need guests. Let me tell you yeah. why we need guests. Yeah. All right. So whenever we're swimming in our conversations, okay, and we talk, by the way, not just in here, out there as well. If we can get a different voice in there and then we can pick a little bit and get some stuff out of there, boom, we're much better. Our conversations on the other side are much better. So I appreciate people that say you don't need guests or anything like that or don't want guests. Very fucking nice of you. I don't feel that way. A lot of people don't feel that way, but some people have voiced that opinion. I want to let you know, I think we need it for for our conversations afterwards. Whenever we get a chance to talk to who we're going to talk to today, I think we're going to learn so much that we wouldn't normally know. And I, I think it's an exciting time to be us. We got the walking, talking, breathing, living enshrinement of the Hall of Fame joining us, David Baker. Wow. Oh, my God. Come on, all right, that's from the Bookers. Okay, I think he is probably doing a little press run. That's how we got him because mm -hmm. I think that's how these Bookers games play. All right, we uh -huh. got into the... Right. So that's going to be fascinating to see how that works out because we are definitely going to fuck up one of those situations. Absolutely. There ain't, I ain't reading a script for some company. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, 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 that, no. that ain't going to happen. I'm not going to play that game. And I think that could potentially be the problem on why we haven't had a guest for like three, four weeks here. Potentially. But now we have not only David Baker. Hey. What? Jagger eating fresh off the skateboard. Here we go. Joining us here in like he's joining us like eighteen minutes or so. Olympic medals. Olympic medals. Silver, I think he'll be joining. Silver, bronze. Bronze. He's still on podium. First year of skateboarding over the Jagger eating. Now let's go, Jagger eating. I was watching him because skateboard had obviously just debuted in the Olympics, and I was fascinated as somebody who grew up in the, I think the prime of the X Games era mm -hmm. as it was being created. I, I mean, I heard they're letting ten year olds in there now. So I don't know if that's the same X Games. I, well, it's kid not. can skate. Well, Jagger Eaton actually was in the X Games when he was 11. I yeah. Think. <laughs> so I, this, is, this dude is a legend. He's young. He's now an Olympic medalist, and he's getting back into the skateboard game. Can't wait to – he was listening to something while he was on the skateboard mm -hmm. over there in Tokyo. Can't wait to ask him what it was and just kind of, you know, invest into his life a little bit and what it was like being an Olympian as a skateboarder, which is normally like the outlaw community. Now right. you're in the Olympics. It's a whole big – it's a big thing. Oh, yeah. And I was watching the uh, – there was a special about it. And I think it was the head of the skateboarding Olympics guy. Okay. Makes sense. If that was his title, by the way, Olympics would be much more relatable. <laughs> that was not he's he was the one who was, I think, in charge of overseeing overseeing getting skateboarding in the Olympics. And at the end of the the video, he almost tears up and says like he thinks a uh, a board with four wheels can change the world or something like that. And it wow. was like, uh, pretty sweet. it was like a pretty cool thing. Cause I think that although skateboarders have always been like outlaws and stuff like that, I think they do have a little bit of like, Hey, we can kind of change the world type mentality as mm -hmm. well. It's together. It's cool. I'm excited to talk to Jagger Eaton. He'll forever be remembered, uh, for the first time ever in Olympics, being a man who got the bronze and representing America out there, which is, I think it's our sport, by the way, we created yeah, did we? I think so. I'm pretty sure we created skateboarding. Let's I'm not, go. I'm not 100 sure, but I think we did. It's a big win. I, uh, I thought it was nah, Australia. I, I think we'll own that. I, th I, think uh, we, I, I thought, thought it was Australia. He I said it was. A, did Australia win the gold or the silver? Uh, I don't think no. so. Okay, so did we created, but we didn't win gold, so I don't know. Oh. Yeah, but Wes Jagger. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Wes he Jagger. Here we go. Yeah. We Wes Jagger. Tony Ackerman in skateboarding. Bingo. We all know and that. As, bingo. <laughs> and that's why he's still such a big part of the game. He was over there in Tokyo, by the way, riding as a commentator. And I saw him, because, you know, hearing 
in what I've never skateboarded, believe it or not. Really? I just can't. Yeah. I don't have the ability. I've tried. Guys were going to skate parks from my school too. It was like such a cool thing. There was a skate park, I guess, like 25 minutes away somewhere else. It was like a, a big to do, and all my little skater friends were like, oh, it was awesome. They were so kids there. Everybody was there. There's music playing. Oh, we're having a blast. There was a fight, but it was like blah, 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 like that type of thing. I'm like, all right, I'm going next time. So I was like, let me see your skateboard. I need to practice this. And for about a day and a half, I tried, and I just fucking couldn't do it. I'd get on there, and that thing would go. Mm-hmm. And i just, whoop, gone, poop, gone. And they said if I would have showed up at that skate park, obviously, and I do that, I'm going to get laughed out of there. I went one time. I got up to drop in, you know, because that was the cool thing to do. Everybody yep, was doing it. Of course. Yeah, I just, poof, dead, out of there. So laughed out of the room. Well, it's probably <laughs> sold, what, 800 cigarettes at that skate See, park? You yes. probably made a lot of good business. I will say, whenever I did have my cigarette operation going on, a lot of my purchasers did arrive via skateboard. Boom. Okay. Okay, so maybe that's how I learned about all these things. And, you know... I guess as I would grow older and speak to other people that would be selling stuff potentially, the conversations you have with them, often brief, quick, very positive. I think that is how <laughs> yeah. I learned about so many things a lot. The skaters, oh, we just got back from this, blah, blah, blah. You got to come with us next week. Oh, okay, cool, man. Have nice. a good one. That was just small talk to get to SIGs. Right. Of course. Oh, yeah. And now, yeah. And now I'm realizing that. And I actually went. I probably was a big burden oh, on them wow. that particular day. And then when I embarrassed myself on a thing, they are probably pumped that I... I feel massively didn't want to come. Anyways, those types of things you can kind of learn about. And we don't need to talk about the bad days. Let's talk about the good days. Mm-hmm. Skateboarding is in the Olympics. Let's have a good time and talk to Jagger Eaton about that in about uh, 14 minutes, 13 minutes or so. And then also, since we are in the middle of the Summer Olympics, we'd be remiss not to talk about Mount Rushmore Summer Olympian of all time. Usain Bolt will be joining us. No, no way! Hey. You shitting me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's go! No yeah. way! Yeah, 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 yeah. Huh? Wow. wow. This show. That's a big get. This show. Th- David Baker can't wait. Can't I mean, wait. Can't wait to talk about the Hall of Fame. Can't wait to talk about what we're going to do with the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Fame game, what it uh, represents. You know, how many more punters and kickers are going to get in there, Dave? You know, yeah. all these types of conversations. Can't wait for it. Jagger Eaton, this guy, he's going to be in a story. He's going to be in the history books. Come on, Jagger. <laughs> Jagger. Yeah, Jagger. Let's go. But Usain Bolt coming on this conversation, I never thought I'd be having. I'm very excited for this one. Yeah. Can't wait. And especially in the middle of the Simone Biles situation that's going on with her mental health and all the pressure of ha- expecting her to win every single thing she does. And maybe that boiled over and maybe there was some doubt and maybe there was some loneliness for Simone because she's in a country with uh, none of her family, no fans, really. I guess her team's there. They love each other, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I just, I mean, I, I don't know how we missed this, but she probably doesn't have a lot of trust in her coaches or anybody. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that is just because of things that have obviously happened in the past that we don't want to talk about, but it became too much on the biggest scale of all time. Everybody saw that. I'd assume Usain Bolt, I mean, I'm a casual in the track world. I mean, there are some people in the sports media world that know all about the the tracks. Of course. All about the tracks. Mm -hmm. Okay, I've heard (laughs) they know all about I do not. No. But every time I heard Usain Bolt was running in a race, I was like, ah. He's fucking going to win. Mm-hmm. Oh, and he's going to break another world record. I wonder if that was ever something he thought about, or did he just try to remain oblivious to it and just keep it moving? How you doing? Keep it moving. It's not always easy to be at the top of the mountain, especially with the Simone Biles situation, kind of putting a spotlight on that. Aaron Rodgers talked about it yesterday as well. He's another guy that's at the top of the world, mental health, something he's focused on. He says, not always depression, by the way. There's other forms of mental health whenever you can feel off a little bit. I wonder if he just kept it moving all the way, but he had to feel it at some point. He was unbelievable. Eight-time gold medalist at the Olympics. 
11-time world champion, and maybe the most electrifying athlete for like a four-year period that I could not wait to watch do something that I could never do in my entire life. I wonder, I want to know too, like when he really was like, all right, I'm done doing this. Because I still feel like if he was running this year, like he'd be a favorite. I mean, obviously like he's older now and it's different, but it's just like you look at him and you like, okay, I would expect him to still, you know, be competing for a gold medal this year. Well, and that's why we as casuals are so excited to talk to this. I I think everybody would be pumped to talk to him, but you're right. My natural thought would be, oh, well, you saying Boker run for the next 25 years. Cause he's only like 33, 34. It's not like he's super old or anything. It feels like he's still in his athletic prime kind of. At Boston Connor is also here. Can't wait to hear all your thoughts. You Australia skateboard. Maybe we'll have to fact check that. We'll see how that goes. Uh, A lot of head shaking. No on the other side. Uh, It was uh, California. His name was Larry. Here we All go. Right, started out 0 for 1. No big deal. Took a swing at That's it. Tried to represent for down under. You yeah. got to do uh-huh. what you got to do. But whenever you talk about that and we say, like, oh, you say, I'm betting on Usain Bolt. I'm betting on Usain Bolt. All the track people are like, you absolute idiot. Uh, tenth of a second change is such a massive change in the world of racing. Mm-hmm. Especially whenever it's quick races oh, yeah. that are short that are potentially less than a minute long or in track less than 12 seconds long or whatever. A tenth of a second, two tenths of a second, a half a second might as well be an eternity. And I think that is why, I mean, we'll ask Usain. Hey, we assume you could still win. I think he probably thinks to himself uh, or somebody told him or he found out, like, no, 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 there is. Just like in the cornerback situation in the NFL, there is a window where your body is going to be able to do it. 33, is that too old? Especially when you're Usain Bolt and you're beating the world record every time you run. I, I think no, but I would assume that the, the track people in he have a very different opinion. I think he tore his hamstring during, during a, a relay in 2017. I think that's why he ended up. Oh. Yeah, you could rehab. And he was probably, how old was he in 2017? And 30? Yeah, roughly, yeah. 29, 30? Mm-hmm. Man, I wish we would have seen him forever, that's though. That's too bad, because I assume if he thought he could win, he'd be running. Do you remember when he would just he would get in there? And he was the most casual human of yeah, all time. Yeah, messing around with the guy standing behind. <laughs> you see some, some of the other people that are raising good, just so scared, absolutely scared to death about what's about to happen. They get down there, and they just had to look at a guy that was just dancing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, this guy. Messing around. And then he, this was towards the end of his career, I assume, because at the beginning of his career, when we learned about him, he never had a look of worry when he was looking at everybody else. He would be laughing and smiling, and then hands would mm-hmm. the hands straight up. I can't believe it. Shout, hey, shout out to the Bookers, dude. Yeah, talking about work, it. Bookers. All right, so we got a big-time show. Let's talk about what's going on in the NFL, though, today. Sean Payton not happy about the Michael Thomas surgery uh, time, I believe. Mm-hmm. Sean Payton addressed it. We assumed immediately, and by we, I mean me, because I'd seen this in the past with maybe previous guys who had gotten a surgery, rehab, 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 rehab. You get to a point where... For some reason, either something was missed or not properly fixed or healed or bouncing back quickly, whatever the reason. Could be a multitude of reasons. And then they have to decide, like, okay, we can get another surgery right now to fix this, but if we keep waiting, it's going to get too long. We're going to miss too much. And then they make a decision to do another surgery. Then they start the rehab process over as opposed to just lingering on and never getting right. I thought that was what had to have happened with Michael Thomas, one of the best wide receivers in the NFL, coming into a season after last year was a bit disappointing. I didn't lose 
to Tampa. Tampa's going to be awesome. Drew Brees is gone, and he was hurt last year. So you would think that that would be the case. Sean Payton addressed the, the Michael Thomas situation yesterday. It doesn't sound like it is a kumbaya, Donner. Nope, nope. It doesn't sound like it's a, hey, we're, we're all in this thing and on the same page together. It didn't seem like that at all. Go ahead and run this thing, Foxy. Well, look, it appears we're going to have to spend some time without him. Um, it's disappointing, and we'll work through it with the, the other players that are here. Um, but the surgery took place, and obviously, uh, you know, we would have liked that to have happened earlier than later. And, and quite honestly, it should have. Can you explain? I mean, was there a lack of communication in between? No, or? no. I'm going to leave it at that. Um, there was no lack of communication. I'm going to leave it at that. So does this mean that Michael Thomas didn't want the surgery, thought he could rehab it back, and then they realized, like, no, no rehab would be able to fix whatever you have. You were going to have to get surgery, and it was just a disagreement, a miscommunication, a I feel I don't need surgery. I can rehab through this. My physical therapist feels like we have a plan that we can get through this. Uh, and the, the Saints go, well, we think you should have a surgery. And is, is there a mistrust there? Is there, a, is there just two differing opinions that ended up coming to a head and now Sean Payton visibly frustrated with the situation? Maybe. Or was there a fuck you, fuck you situation yeah. that led to this whole thing? I, I think this is something to watch, especially because Michael Thomas is so good at football. And the New Orleans Saints are going to look very different this year. You would hope that although Kamara is there, you'd also have your number two guy basically on your entire offensive weapons fit. Or at least saying something like, hey, you know that we have to cut damn near half of our entire team. Like, we need you week one no matter what. You got to be ready because we don't have Sanders anymore. I think I saw their uh, their third wide receiver suspended for something. Uh, and we got a new quarterback. Like, if you're not on the field, our offense might be fucked. Now, with that, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you have to remember that. Whatever Michael Thomas potentially thought was going to work or – his physical therapist or whoever's body guru, right? I mean, in New England, there was a lot of people that got through a lot of injuries due to a body guru without getting surgeries or coming back a lot quicker, who is now down in Tampa Bay, by the way. Look for that to potentially be an impact as well. There are alternatives to surgeries, and a lot of guys, and we're viewing this right now with the vaccine conversations, a lot of guys don't like anything happening to their body. They literally monitor everything that goes in, Everything that goes out. I mean, there is some guys that are like that. And if you can stay away from surgery and just rehab something back, there's some. Now me, hey, go ahead, go in there and fix it. Right? <laughs> Get it done. That, that is how I feel. That is how I feel. A lot of people probably feel like, hey, if you need surgery, get surgery. But there are guys, and uh, the general Bob Carpenter alluded to this when he was on TMZ Live mm-hmm. uh, today. There's a lot of different thoughts in an NFL locker room. That's because in the NFL locker room, there's a lot of different backgrounds. There's a lot of stories. There's a lot of different personal situations that have led to people believing different things. The NFL locker room is the most diverse workplace I think maybe the world has legitimately. I I think maybe that the entire world has. And in there, you have a lot of people that believe different things. And I don't know if that's how Michael Thomas is. I don't know anything about Michael Thomas, but there's a lot of different people in locker rooms that feel that they can fix things with their body naturally as opposed to doing anything else. I don't know if Michael's like that, but that has to be the reason on why he didn't do a surgery. If Sean Payton saying there was no miscommunication, we wanted him to 
uh, do a surgery, he must have either felt, believed, or had somebody tell him, we can rehab through this. It's amazing what people can do now with massage therapy, with uh, diets, with everything, with stretching, that pliability stuff. Yeah. There's a lot of things that can do the body well with all the, uh, I think it's the oldest form of uh, nutrition, actually, I think is what is basically being brought back and modernized and everything. And that's just how some people feel. That has to be the case. But Sean Payton is pissed. And I know why. I mean, that, that team is much different without Michael Thomas playing well in the field. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see what this means for him going forward, too, because last year him and Sean Payton kind of got into it. He yes. was talking about how he wanted like a new contract. And, you know, then you start the season like this. He's going to miss potentially, what, six to seven games like I, I don't know how this ends, but I feel like the it's kind of like sowing the seeds for Michael Thomas to be out of New Orleans eventually. And, it, and is that a decision that was made by Michael Thomas business-wise right. to hey, do this? Drew Brees isn't here anymore, you know? And allegedly, which I think I misread from an outsider looking in, Michael Thomas said he played at the end of the season because he knew this was going to be Drew Brees' last run. Yeah. So he knew it was going to be Drew Brees' last run, so he went out there and played even though he was already hurt and was definitely hurt because he wanted to give one last go for Drew. I did not know that. But that was a report, I think, from his agent. or yeah. Drew's it, wife, I thought, even said that, that the reason that he came back was because of everything that Drew was going through. So I did not know. Oh, okay. The reason. You th- so Drew's wife was the person that leaked this information? I thought, I thought she also, when she came out to talk about everything with Drew and all the injuries he had, the lung was something that oh, we yeah, didn't yeah. hear about. She said <laughs> in that, I believe, and I could be wrong, I'm already 0 for 1 today, that uh, no. Michael Thomas also, because – Drew was going through that. He just powered through. Not knowing that skateboarding started in America and not in Australia is not something that you should carry any further, okay? Sure. That yeah. is something that a lot we didn't even know, and we actually wow. thought you were potential. Well, Ty didn't know. We knew. Yeah, we, we kind of did. <laughs> we had a pretty good feeling. We openly expressed that, and you won against us. We're like, okay, maybe that whole thing. But Drew Brees' wife might have been alluding to something that was broken, or maybe she was the one that broke the news. But, yeah, that was fascinating to me. And then Sean Payton interviews pregame and postgame on primetime games. I, I think it was Monday Night Football and it might have been Rossini. Uh, she was in the crowd interviewing Sean Payton down on the the turf, obviously, before the game. And something happened with Michael Thomas. And I remember him giving an answer that made me go, oh, he does not like Michael yeah. Thomas. Like, oh, it seems like there is a Michael Thomas situation going on. We have to monitor that going forward, I think. I think that is something we have to watch. That is one of the guys. If he was to somehow get on the market, and I'm not saying he is, wants to be, or potentially will be, if he gets on the market, there's going to be a lot of people that are like, get us Michael yes. Thomas. Now, I don't know about his... We'll, we'll be the one handling his medical shit, all right? Right. But uh, we'll be the one saying, if you need surgery, get surgery. But Michael Thomas is a game changer and a game record when he's on the What floor. was it, two years ago when he was fully healthy? He set the... Broke the record. Yeah, broke the record for receptions in a season. So, like, he's a fucking stud, obviously. But, I mean, I don't know. We'll see. I, I just don't see there being any way this ends good in New Orleans. <laughs> Now that the world's opening back up, so many new thrills are on the horizon. Okay. And whether you've been in a relationship for years or just getting started, we're excited to get back out there and meet new people. Hell yeah. When the moment comes, it's not come too quick. Oh, (laughs) here we go. That is not what they had in their copy. Okay. <laughs> they should. That was, I think they're going in a different direction. So let's go back a sentence or two. Okay. Okay. When you, when the moment comes, you want to be ready. 
That's yeah. true. Yeah. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for erectile dysfunction, Ooh. all from the comfort and privacy of your home. Once you take care of that, though, you get the Roman swipes, and guess what? Ha! Lasts a long time. Banging up, banging up, banging up. Yeah, it's yeah. Pete Alonzo at the all <laughs> yes. at the home run derby. That's Boom. right. Dingers. <laughs> Bingo. David Ocup- <laughs> Population you, dude. Hell yeah. Roman ready equals confidence. The confidence that you know you can rise to the occasion in the moment. We're looking at the Summer of Love 2021 version, and Roman wants to make sure you can participate in your way. Whether that be as a single person or a couple who would still rather stay in with each other, a U.S. licensed healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, it ships to you for free with two-day shipping. Okay. That's huge. Free? The shipping's free. Wow. I believe. Not the... Not the medication. Free two-day shipping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Go to GetRoman.com slash McAfee today, and if you're prescribed, you can get 50% off your first month of ED treatment. Okay. That's G-E-T-R-O-M-A-N.com slash M-C-A-F-E-E. And if you're prescribed, you can get 50% off your first month of erectile dysfunction treatment. Make sure you're ready to have confidence and control this summer. Roman ready. And we're down, boys. Join us in studio. AJ Hawk is out and about for his wife's birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Ms. Hawk. Ms. Hawk, as you do recall, is the wife of AJ. Mm -hmm. They are a famous couple. They are. They were spotlighted when she had the half jersey of Brady Quinn and AJ Hawk. That's right. That jersey is now hung up in the attic next to AJ Hawk off camera every single day. His favorite moment, and also, I believe, her favorite moment of their entire relationship. Absolutely. He said he touches it like the play like a champion today every single time before he comes on air. I've never met his wife. I'm sure she's pumped that we're speaking of her right now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but I think AJ said that, uh, that that was not a cool moment in her. She was not exactly thrilled for that entire <laughs> Lady Hawk did not enjoy that? I guess Lady Hawk did not enjoy every the way that whole thing portrayed. I, I think she is kind of like a low-key person. Yeah, they thrusted her right, right into, into it. it. She got times. shown like 15 times <laughs> yeah. during that game. I don't think she loved that necessarily. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you might have heard us delaying a little bit there because it was probably our fault. It definitely was our fault. But there is now a connection live with a man whose name is synonymous with the Summer Olympics and will be forever. Captivating the globe with his incredible speed out of Jamaica, 11-time world champion, 8-time Olympic gold medalist, fastest human to ever grace this rock floating through sky, ladies and gentlemen, Usain Bolt. Let's go, dude. Uh, You're muted. You're muted. You're muted. Hold on. I think it's us. We might have you muted. You might be muted. That was a good moment. He and I, we just had a shared moment. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, Good start. Yeah, he understood. I understood. It's probably our fault. It might not be. It may be him. Is he back? Is he? Am I good? Yeah! Yeah! There he is. How's it going, Usain? How's life? It's good. I'm chilling. I'm chilling. Um, I have three kids, so it's been crazy this morning. (laughs) Okay. Well, I appreciate you you being dad of the year and everything like that. Um, I try. I try. When when the Summer Olympics happened, I think all of us who were alive and had brain capabilities during your era (laughs) immediately think back to how electrifying that was. Will you watch the Summer Olympics? And do you have, obviously, great feelings towards the Olympics at this point in your life? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, it's, it's never going to miss me. It's something that's always going to be close to my heart. You know what I mean? Um, I've done so, so many great things in the Summer Olympics, so I'm excited, you know. I mean, I'm watching it now. I haven't got a track to watch a lot, but I'm excited for the track and field to start. Whenever we saw you run for the first time, you have to think about a uh, little white dude in <laughs> Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, or uh, grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, go through West Virginia. Watching you just blow by people was so fascinating because everybody you're running against is literally the fastest person, not in their town, not on their street, not in their neighbor, in their entire country. And you were just blowing by everybody. At what age did you just start outrunning every human you were around in Jamaica? And then when did you know? At what age did you know? For me, I started at 10. Um, for my start, I was just really good. You know what I mean? Um, but when I got to like 15, then I was, I was like, you know, track and field is, is something that I'm going to do. That was when I was just killing it everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and how does the track and field work? You race against everybody in Jamaica and then somebody says like, hey, we got a guy. We should send him into other meets around the world. At what age did you kind of get introduced to the world stage? For me, it was actually I was playing cricket. I don't know. A lot of people from the States don't even know what cricket is. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I was playing cricket, but I was a fast bowler, so I was running in. And my coach, that was cricket coach, was like, you know what? You're kind of fast. You should try running, you know what I mean? And I was like, all right. And that's how it started, really. You know what I mean? And then I just continued. And over time, I started trying out for the Jamaica team. And then we started traveling to different, like, small islands. And then we started traveling overseas and stuff like that. Did, did you ever lose? Um, not a lot though. Like for a few years, I did stumble a little bit, but after that, I, I kind of got it back. <laughs> okay, so I think you're the perfect uh, person to ask this question to then, because every time you stepped on TV, whether it was the Olympics or other track races that we were watching, because you were in it. Yeah, I don't think that yeah. has happened since, and I'm not sure it'll happen again. Hopefully, it will. <laughs> Hopefully, somebody will be able to do that. But as soon as the name yeah. Usain Bolt was put along, something it was like, hey that dude's on tonight like hey we gotta go watch, we gotta go watch that guy and it was always expected for you to win every, like exactly. hey Usain Bolt's gonna win and with what Simone Biles is going through right now yeah. with every time she steps into an arena she is expected to win for exactly. you it never obviously you continued to succeed through those pressures but was there any moments before races where like hey everybody on earth is expecting me to not only win beat the world record and smash everybody did you just try to block that out or how did you handle those types of pressures for me, it was, it was always tough. I, I think I learned that at a young age. You know what I mean? For me, when I was younger, all I was thinking about was trying to make everybody else who wanted me to be great proud. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, I got to make Jamaica proud. Oh, I got to make my family proud. You know what I mean? I got to do this for my, my friends. This, you know what I mean? It was always for everybody else. And when I figure out that I was always doing, I'm, I was also doing it for myself, it became easier. You know what I mean? Because mm. then I was like, why am I putting so much pressure on myself? I want I want the same thing they want. They want me to smash records. They want me to win. That's the same thing I want. So for me, as long as I was prepared for the moment, it didn't stress me out that much. But at the earlier age, it, it bothered me for a while. Because I don't think there's a lot of people that can talk to Simone right now, right? You're you're probably one of the only humans <laughs> that understands what Simone... Understand what she's going through. Yeah. And, and Dude, but, must, yeah it's, it's hard when you put a lot of stress on people. If they... If, I think she didn't understand at a young age, but now that she's there, the pressure is, is going to be so high. You know what I mean? So high because everybody's watching. You know what I mean? She's bringing the flag for America, so everybody's going to be seeing. So I know and understand the pressure she's under. You know what I mean? 
are going through. Uh, so I, my hat's off to her, you know what I mean, to, to know that she's been going through some stuff and she just needs to take some time, you know what I mean, recover, recuperate, and, and get back. And we all hope she does that. And thank you for talking about that. And thank you for coming on this show, by the way. There, <laughs> yeah, yeah. there is no reason There is no reason you should be on this show. And I want to let you know, we are thankful. Uh, we are very, very thankful. Jeff, in those Olympic Games, you were the superstar, right, amongst Olympic Village. What was it like around Olympic Village? We just talked to Jagger Eaton, and he said it was awesome. He said everybody was yeah. cool, getting to meet everybody. What was the Olympic Village experience like? For me, it, it was fun. You know what I mean? It's always a different energy beating different, at least from different sports. You know what I mean? Uh, um, but I didn't go out a lot, but I tried to venture out and just to meet people. You know what I mean? But it was hard for me because everybody wanted a picture. Everybody wanted a conversation. So <laughs> for me, I kind of just stayed in as much as possible. But it was good. It was a good vibe. You know what I mean? It was different because everybody's in the same place. You know what I mean? So what, when you retired, because you, I think you tore your hamstring in a yeah. race, in a relay race or something like that. Yeah. Did you, were you eyeing potential the end of the road when that happened? Or did that tell you? Did you get actual closure here? Or do you feel like you kind of got shortened on your, your, did we get gypped out of seeing more no. Usain Bolt is what, uh, selfishly is what I'm asking. <laughs> no, I wanted to retire after the Olympics. You know what I mean? I remember I wanted to retire after 2016. I was like, you know what? This is it. This, that was my plan to retire. And then all my fans were like, no, bro, you can't just leave us like that. You know what I mean? You can't just, <laughs> yeah, just, like, Yo, just give, me, give us one more year. You know what I mean? And that's why I came back and did it one more time. And you saw what happened. Pulled my hamstring. It was not nice. <laughs> was, that your fir- not nice. was that your first big injury? Because I feel like track, that is a massive component of it is staying healthy. And I don't know how you guys do it. but especially- That was my first big injury on camera. I've always gotten injuries in training and stuff like that but i've never really gotten injured in actual competition hey did you get into all that unique shit for a rehab did you did you do did you do a lot of insane stuff you know not just the cupping but like the acupuncture and uh, did you have to do all of that because i assume with how explosive you are that you have to take care of your body did you do any of the insane stuff did you like bathe in wine or anything (laughs) like that I've, i've heard some weird i've heard some weird stuff no, no. For me, it was it was just all about, and I saw I have scoliosis, which is the curvature of the back. So if my core is not strong, that's when I have issues with my hamstring and stuff. So my main focus was like on strengthening my core and my hamstrings. But I did do acupuncture over time. So and that's painful. No, it's no joke, bro. Yeah. <laughs> None whatsoever. So yeah. I had to do that. But most of the time, it was just focusing on strengthening my back and getting my core strong. You saying? Yeah. Hey, come on. <laughs> hey, come on. Come on. Yeah, you're just showing off now. Huh? <laughs> I don't have three kids, so I still got time to fuck around. You know what I mean? <laughs> I heard you were uh, like you were elite soccer player. I sh- you speed kills right. matchups. Speed kills matchups in every sport. You obviously are Usain Bolt. So <laughs> that is something that changes. And I think whenever you were running, there was a lot of football conversation. Like, hey, mm-hmm. let's get this dude on a field. Like, who knows how much he could stretch a defense. And then I heard you want to have soccer dreams. Was yeah. there any other, other sports that potentially kind of uh, baited you in there? Or were you ever close to maybe doing something? We, we talked about um, football for a while. But back then... It was vicious sport, you know. I mean, people were taking people out left, left, right, and center back then. And I knew if if I showed up at my speed, oh. that's what's gonna happen. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. These guys are gonna be waiting to take me out. So I was like, <laughs> you know what? I don't want to try that. <laughs> <laughs> so I stayed. So I stayed there. But if it was now, 
I would have tried because it's not as crazy as it was back in the day. You know what I mean? Are you a big football fan? American football? Because yeah, I saw you Green say... Bay, I'm a Green Bay Packer fan. Let's go. Hey. Wow. <laughs> okay, because I saw... Aaron he... Rodgers, man. You, you don't know how happy I was when I opened my Instagram and saw Aaron Rodgers at Lambeau Field. <laughs> <laughs> uh, why did you become a Packers fan? Is it because of Aaron or what is it? No, surprisingly. All right. So, I'm in soccer, I'm a Manchester United fan. You okay. know what I mean? And I'll never forget... We didn't get a lot of games when I was younger. So the first game I, I watched was, was with Aaron Rodgers back in the days. And I saw him and I was like, you know what? This is going to be my team. And that's how, if it was any other team on the day that was playing good, the first game I watched, I would have been supporting them. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you picked the right you know horse. I mean? Hey, you picked the right horse. Yeah, you know what I mean? Exactly, exactly. Because we're looking good. Cobb is back, so I'm excited about that. So we're looking good this season. Hey, Last you... season we were great, but this season we're looking good. You say you, <laughs> you made the I mean? NFC Championship last year, okay? Yeah. But uh, oh, heartbreak. Don't talk about it. Oh. <laughs> it was it was a sad day for me. We shouldn't have lost that though. There's no way we should have lost that game. Well, there was a couple decisions made right before half. There was a lot, exactly, yeah, a lot of yeah, bad yeah. decisions in that game. Hey, you see, uh, in speaking of a big play, and we have a diehard uh, Packers fan here as well who is yeah. very, yeah, yeah, he was super pumped to talk yeah. to you, and we'll get to that. But you, did you see Scotty Miller? You know, obviously you did. He scored that touchdown on fourth down right before half there. That's going to happen there. He's very fast. Tyree Kill, very fast. There's a lot of conversation in the NFL of who's the fastest. Have you ever got into that game at all? Me and Tyreek Hill um, got into it because he's a Gatorade sponsors athlete also. So we got into it one time. We were sitting out, we were talking. And he was like, yo, you could take me. And he was talking blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but then I went to the combine one year. And if you pull, if you go on the net right now, I ran 4-2-2 in my sweats and some shoes. <laughs> you got no chance. None whatsoever. <laughs> hey, do you see, you know why? Because one primetime game, they were talking about Tyreek uh, Hill's speed. It was like either his rookie year or second year. It was primetime game. And they put him running uh, next to you on the track. And they were like, yeah. look, the start. It was a 200, I believe. Look, the yeah. start, they're the same there. And then you pulled away towards the end. But they were trying to yeah. showcase Tyreek's speed. And I think a lot of us were like, we got a fucking guy that maybe could catch him. <laughs> wow. Usain Bolt in the NFL. I did not know you ran a 4-2-2. That, was, that really happened? If you, watch, if, you, if you check it out on the internet, you'll see it. Would you, see hey, you would have been a great wideout too, man. You would I have know, been. A, I know for sure, for sure. And I got, I think I got good hands, so that'd be good. <laughs> man, you, the Usain Bolt Foundation's unbelievable. By the way, we've been looking into it here, just giving back. I think you you donated a maternity ward for a hospital in the Usain wow. Bolt Foundation. Laptops to an entire school. I mean, you are absolutely crushing it. You're you're the the right hero, man. It seems to be. It's a really cool thing. It doesn't happen often. I, I try, man, because especially in this pandemic, a lot of the schools in the rural area, they didn't have, like, internet and stuff like that, iPads and, like, printers and stuff just to get the, the, the information out to the kids. So, for me, that was my focus most of the, the, the lockdown, just to try to get kids so they didn't fall behind. So, when school actually opens, they're still on the same page with everybody else. 
You're a good dude, you saying. We're going to donate. We can't wait to continue to help. Here's Ty Schmidt. He's a Packers owner, shareholder <laughs> owner here. Guys. Yeah, jacked up to know you're a fan. But, Usain, yeah. I've always wondered, uh, like, at what point when you were getting ready for an Olympics, would you, like, really gear up and, like, you know, kind of go zero dark 30, if you will, into it? Like, what was your diet like? Do you do you get to, like, have days where you kind of just, you know, you don't have to be a complete robot and keep your body the way it is? Like, how would you prepare going into an Olympics, and when does that, that period start? For me, so we have, like, most of the time we have tries like, a, a month before the games. So for me, like, a month and a half before actual tries, that's when I kind of shut things down and try to just focus for those the rest of the next two months. That was when I really got serious and made sure I didn't go out. I stayed at home. I slept a lot more, make watch exactly what I consume and stuff like that. So it was like two and a half, two and a half months before the actual game. Um, we just, we just scroll. We should have done this beforehand. We we just been scouring the internet for factoids yeah. about you here as the show's going on. This one just got sent in. Uh, you ran your second hundred meter record in two thousand eight with your shoe untied. That was on purpose, or that just no, happened? It wasn't on purpose. It wasn't on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't on purpose. It just got untied. When did did when you notice? Did you even realize or no? No, no. It was when I after I I, I stopped running. People were talking about it, saying, "Yo, I could have gone face first into the." the track yeah that would, by the way that's on that would have not been nice at that pace yeah you would open up your instagram you would open up your instagram and all you would have seen is you just bah, bah, bah. and then by the way for you falling it would have been for every good team that loses around bah, bah. they would have never and by the way that's why you're you're usain bolt and others aren't you can do that with your shoes untied well did you plan the first world record to go ahead and just chill for the last what 20 meters or whatever it was did you plan that out in advance or was no, it just no bro I for me, you know, you know, you're working hard all the, all season long. You know what I mean? You're pushing yourself. For me, when I looked across and I saw that I was going to win, I was like, so that's just my reaction. You know what I mean? I was like, yeah. And I beat my chest. I was like, yeah. I was just happy. You know what I mean? I wasn't thinking about anything else. I just thought I was going to win. And everything is paid off, so I was just happy. <laughs> See, because I thought you were doing that. Like, okay, we'll be able to do this. We'll put the brakes on at about 20 meters this time. Yeah. And then next Any, week- Anything else after that year, anything else you see me do at the end, most of the time I thought about it. <laughs> my, last, my last Olympics when I was crossing the line, I was like, I'm the man. You know what I mean? So that I thought about. Go ahead, Connor. Yeah, he's saying there's a character on the internet that uh, we've become sort of curious about, Chet Hanks, uh, and he uses a Jamaican accent all the time. Is that allowed, or should we tell him, like, hey, Chet, you can't fucking do that anymore? Is he Jamaican? No. No, no, he no, is, no he's he is. Tom Hanks' son. Yeah, yeah, he's Tom Hanks' son. Yeah. Mr. Oh. Oh, I, I th- yeah, no, no, it's kind of cool, though. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're talking. He's yeah, yeah. cool, though, man. Yeah, he, he has a vibe. You know what I mean? Is that- we, we allow him. We allow him. Okay, he's yeah. not. It's not bad. I feel bad, so we let out. <laughs> hey, Jamaica is like the. Uh, as soon as you think of Jamaica, you just think like super good vibes. Now I've seen the movie Shotas. Okay, so I know there's yeah. a lot of other things that potentially go down in Jamaica and Kingston and everything like that. But the overall vibe is like good vibes. Good is that is that basically the feel? Are you still in Jamaica? You live in Jamaica full yes, time. Yeah, I live in Jamaica. Yeah, yeah. And you just take a lot chill, of pride man. in that, huh? We just chill people. Anybody comes to Jamaica, you know. Just ask anybody who comes to Jamaica. They're like, it's just nice people. Chill vibe. We're, we're the type of people just want to have party and just have fun. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just relax. Always on the beach, drink some coconut. That type of vibes. You know what I mean? 
How about, uh, so I have been to Jamaica. Good vibes, good times. Uh, smoked on some Shakari Richardson. How did you, how did you, how did you, how did you stay away from that? I asked Jagger Eaton this, who's a skateboarder he was just on, because the skateboard community is obviously massive into the cannabis culture and everything yeah. like that. Jamaica and track in general, I didn't even know that was something getting tested for until I heard about Shakari's story. Like, that's just something you got to, like, just commit to and understand that it's there, I assume. And how do you exactly. feel about all those rules? As soon as you, as soon as you start track and field, you know what I mean? As soon as you go professional, that's the first thing your, your agent or your coach let you know, like, listen, these things are on the badness, especially if like simple stuff, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? It's like, don't take this pill, don't take that, don't smoke this because it's on the badness, you know what I mean? So they try to make you aware of everything at the start to make sure you don't get into trouble, you know what I mean? Yeah, and they do that in the NFL too, and people still get caught up, and Shakari obviously made a mistake, she owned it, yeah. admitted it, but it's so stupid that they test for it. That doesn't make you a faster human, just <laughs> in my eye. But there's a lot of countries, from what I've been told, that... I guess do not enjoy that uh, weed is potentially available. No, no, no. There's a couple of dictators around there. They, they, <laughs> yeah, they are in the Olympics. They're not having easy. You saying you can't laugh at that? Okay, go ahead, Diggs. You saying you ever head down to the uh, Jamaican training facility and you know open it up and let the boys know that you still got it? No, 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 no. They know. <laughs> <laughs> You know. <laughs> uh, hey, you still run? Still run or no? Yeah, I still I still go to the track a few times. Not a lot, but I still go to the track. How old? Gotta are you? stay fit, man. Gotta stay fit. How old are your three kids? Um, one my my sons are like three months, and my daughter is like one year and three months. <laughs> oh, so once they get older, though. By the way, hey, once they yeah, get older, yeah, uh-huh. hey, we're gonna have to dust off. Yeah, she's yeah. all over the place right now. She's yeah. all over the place. Man. Hey, I assume you are as well. Not only you're doing great things with your foundation, you represent the Olympics in Jamaica in beautiful fashion. Thank you so much for stopping by, man. No worry, boss. No worry. It's fun. <laughs> man, you're the best. Ladies yeah. and gentlemen, yeah. you same Go back, go. Yeah. Yeah. Go baby. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't want to have to pivot to another conversation because that is a big conversation, and that is right in our bread basket. Right now, we're going to hop right out of what our comfort zone is and what people would like to hear us talk about, and we're going to dive into Olympic action. Let's go. go. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us now is an Olympian is a podium stander, a bronze medal winner in the first ever go at skateboarding in the Olympics from Arizona. He was once 11 years old and competing in the X Games. Now he's vibing out in Tokyo and winning medals, ladies and gentlemen, Jaggery. Yeah! Yeah! What's up, dude? Hey, uh, hey, listen. All right, man. I, uh... <laughs> you guys do this right yo yeah yeah you guys the pose is so good yeah thank you. thank you jack i just want to make you feel fucking comfy you know i want you to feel like you're at the skate park right now just having a good conversation after winning the olympics you know uh, I'm feeling I'm feeling good, man. I'm feeling good. Right at home with that stance. Okay. Right okay, cool. <laughs> All right. It kind of hurts. I don't know how you got it. 
Uh, I've never been one that has been able to stand on a board that has wheels on it for whatever the reason. And I'm 33, 34 now. And the X Games were very popular. Skateboarding was massive. Tony Hawk Skater came out that year. And I've never been able to do it. I always had a lot of respect, though, for those who can. Now that it's an Olympic sport, I mean, it feels like skateboard has evolved into, hey, we're a big, big deal. I watched this segment, and the person that oversaw the Olympic Skateboarding Committee said he thinks that a board with four wheels can change the world. What were your thoughts on being like a representative of skateboarding for the entire world this past weekend? It was awesome to watch, Jagger. Yeah, you know, it was a huge opportunity for me and not, you know, not only for the skaters who are really competitive and want to compete for their country like I am, but also for the world of skateboarding, for the culture of skateboarding, for both sides of the skateboarders that want to do that want to film street parts like Thrasher Mag, like Thrasher Magazine and that culture, but also ones that want to compete. You know, I grew up in a family that was extremely competitive. Uh, both my parents were Olympic level gymnasts. This Olympic dream kind of has always lived in me. And uh, yeah, dude, to come home with a medal is just surreal. You know, like it, it's just crazy. USA had to be on that podium. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you, by the yeah. way. Yeah. Thank you, Jagger. Woo. Thank you, Jagger. For service for the United States out there, pal, in Tokyo. Uh, you were vibing. Where were you? It was awesome because I think all eyes were on that first uh, kind of go, and you were in there. In the the uniforms were cool. I think it was like a good take. I think it was. Uh, skater enough, but also corporate enough to kind of make all parties happy with what you guys were wearing, I think. You looked awesome. You were vibing hard, though. What were you listening to, and what was your mindset going into this? Is it the same as every other, like X Games at 11? Is it the same same mindset going into the Olympics, or is it different? Well, I'll tell you one thing about the uniforms, man. If I ever wear a tank top again, I got to put some sunscreen on my shoulders because that Japan Air... <laughs> Burnt me to a crisp. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, that's beautiful. But, um, that's yeah, beautiful. man, the music I was listening to, I was listening to, like, new rap and old country music. And, like, just, like, going back and forth. Like, I know they're polar opposites, but, like, they just, like, kind of created this, like, nice cocktail of calming and, like, and just, like, I need to, like, get into it. Because it was so hard to really get in to being aggressive and competing heavy without a crowd because like I'm an athlete that like feeds off the crowd. So like the mu- do you normally have music in or are you normally feeding off the crowd and listening to the crowd? Is this something that's different for you? Is this standard? And do you always have a little savage and a little soothe with the rap in the country <laughs> music? Is that always, or is this just an Olympic cocktail you had to find? Um, you know, it's kind of an Olympic cocktail I had to find. If I'm being straight up with you, it's hard because I was mixing like Charlie Daniels band with Playboy Cardi, and I'm like, this is just weird, dude. Yeah. But it just, it just worked out. I don't know. Yeah, good for um, you. But for me, when I skate, there's always some sort of music. Um, most contests I do compete, even with crowds, there's like music over the speakers. But um, the music, at, the music at the games, uh, wasn't wasn't really what I what I could get hyped to. So I needed, <laughs> needed some more. Oh yeah, I needed something else. Uh, that's hilarious to think of somebody trying to pass the ox court at the Olympic. Hey, this ain't yeah, <laughs> this ain't it. We need something different. Um, a question about the Olympics that was obviously spotlighted through Shakari Richardson, and then I immediately thought of it while watching the Olympics back again because I knew you were going to come on. Do you think the jeopardy there? The future of American skateboarders or skateboarders in general, in general, in the Olympics is kind of uh, maybe 
a little bit problematic because the dope marijuana testing, like, hey, I am somebody who enjoys the vitamins heavily. And I think I've had numerous skater friends. I'm not sure I know any of them that don't smoke copious amounts of <laughs> cannabis. Is that Was that a problem or for anybody in the skating world for the Olympic Games? And how often do they test for that? You know... I'm honestly really kind of unfamiliar with this topic. Uh, when this goal came to me on the table and I got the chance for this Olympic journey, I put everything away. It was just done. Like, I just became obsessed with this one goal in mind. And I think that all of us, you know, in skateboarding, you know, our culture is really based around that. And um, I think that for us athletes now, to get put on this stage and kind of legitimize skateboarding, I feel like it's really good for the sport. I think so too. I think a lot of people watched it that wouldn't normally watch it. They might get turned off by it. And then watching the way it was set up, did you enjoy the, and I, sorry for being maybe completely ignorant on the situation, but the best trick and then the run, and then that being mixed and then taking your top four like a poker hand almost. Do you enjoy that setup? Is that how it normally is? And if you look back on what you did, is there anything you'd like to do different? Yeah, I do enjoy that, that format. Um, I think it's really dope because it gives every skater in that final a different opportunity. Like for me, right, I, I feel like I'm a really strong run skater. And for the best tricks, I really couldn't go as heavy as I wanted to because my ankle's broken. So it's like I had, I had to – I, I kind of really had to focus on my runs and dial my run scores in and then just hit two tricks on the five tricks uh, after the runs. So was your ankle – do we know this? Like how come that wasn't being talked about while you're – hey, this, this son of a bitch right here has got a broken ankle. <laughs> What? All right, look at how much ankle movement, by the way, is involved. I mean, it's like maybe the most important uh, ligament you or whatever joint you have in skateboarding. Is, it, is this something that was well known? Are you going to get surgery to fix this? What is going to happen now? Hey, man, I, I, I was raised to mind my own business and not gloat. So I, 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 I just went there. I had the opportunity to go, and that's all I wanted. And everything else is, everything else is history now. That's Damn. Broken ankle. It's wild. Olympic podium. Game. Yeah. Man, good for you. Hey, Jagger, good yeah. for you, dude. Woo. Good for you, man. The boys have a couple questions for you. Go ahead, Connor. Yeah, Jagger, uh, Pat Let's mentioned you were 11 years old when you started in the X Games. Uh, when you were beating the shit out of older guys there, were they kind of pissed at you? Like, hey, man, you got to calm down. You're only 11. Or were they kind of promoting you up and glad that the sport was growing? Yeah, you know, the best thing about skating is that when, when the older guys see – a young like a, a young man come into the sport and start to compete there did they do give you a little bit of shit <laughs> but at the same time they like take you under your wing and teach you the lessons that you need to compete at this level and i think that's like the best part right like i remember so i remember so vividly when i was a kid competing x games that like sheckler when i was a kid was like super super kind and then danny way was super cool bob burnquist was always super dope and just, like, kind of learning from them and taking it from them. Because, like, do you know how gnarly it was as an 11-year-old kid watching Bob Burnquist do 12-foot backside Indy 7s on Mega Ramp? And I'm, like, sitting here barely making the gap because I weigh 75 pounds. Like, <laughs> I was just like, dude, I need any piece of advice you can give me right now. I think I – Sheckler had that uh, reality show, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. 
like just wildly handsome and very good. Oh yeah. Just like, Hey, seems like it's just, that, that's kind of what happens in the skateboard world. Good for you. Good luck. It's going to go great for you. I know it. Good for you. But Sheckler was also very young in there, right? Whenever he started, mm -hmm. what is it like going to school? Do you not go to school after that? So like at 11 years old, you're in the X games and what do you walk into fifth grade? Like what, <laughs> yeah. what do you do the next day? And how does that go? Is everybody like, uh, you're the coolest human on earth. <laughs> you get an A. Uh, yeah, my school situation was pretty gnarly as a kid. Yeah. Uh, I got I got kicked out of middle school for missing too many weeks of school, uh, and then I I dropped out of online high school and got my GED, and um, and this is all at the time when I was traveling. I was traveling so much, and I was learning about the world through seeing the world. And my dad and my parents felt like that was that was you know one of the coolest lessons I could ever be taught. And so we we kind of just put our priorities straight and especially when this Olympic journey happened we knew that every single moment I had on this earth I need to be put into making this goal happen that is amazing uh, we were talking to Jagger Eaton a man who got a bronze medal in the Tokyo Olympics just a couple days ago when did you get back home I got back home about two days ago now yeah what was it like over there cardboard box beds and all that shit was it terrible or was it uh, we hyping it up as being bad is it not that bad Oh, everything was so amazing besides the beds. <laughs> like, everything was amazing. The athletes were so cool. The Olympic spirit was so alive. And it was just, the course was amazing. The weather was hot. But at the same time, I'm from Mesa, Arizona, where we'd be skating like 114 dry heat. So it wasn't as bad as where I'm from. And, um, yeah, I mean, dude. It was like it was just everything I wanted more, man. It, it was epic. Man, good for you, Jagger. Yeah. I'm happy the dream came true in a beautiful fashion. I can't believe your middle school kicked you out, by the way. Bullshit. Absurd. Yeah, I hope they're sitting on that now going, oh, well, you know, well, the guy was going to go win the goddamn Olympics, and we said, no, we don't want that. Here. Interesting. Hey, don't give them any credit ever. Don't, yeah. don't give them any credit. They wanted you to fail. Go ahead, Ty. Jagger, Pat talks about growing up in the era where, like, the X Games really exploded. Um, is that, like, now for when you guys go compete in that, does that still have the same juice that it once did? Because it seems like it's kind of fallen off a little bit. Like, do you think now people – now that – skateboarding's in the olympics will people kind of dedicate more time to like that's the ultimate goal as opposed to getting like an x games gold yeah you know what x games kind of pioneered all this and so that that's kind of where they have they kind of have that history chip you know and plus with the olympics i mean and this this is the best part and this is why i think it's so good for skating because you guys know our culture and you guys know you know skaters are rebellious and, and all these things right it's like it's not really a sport it's more of a artistic creative activity mm. and i feel like there's so many eyes that are on skateboarding right now that it's just going to blow up more skate contests more video product pro, uh, projects more athletes more kids who actually have a goal in mind as a kid when they start they can grab a skateboard and say i want to go to the olympics because when i was a kid i didn't have that all, all my whole goal was to just make it the x games and you know you, so i feel it. like x games <laughs> will always kind of have that legendary card yeah, whenever he was a kid, he just wanted to make the X Games. And mm -hmm. when he was six, it's going to be a long road, kid. <laughs> when he was seven years old, they're like, hey, you're a fucking long way to go. Uh -huh. yeah. Eight years old, uh, you better start skating more, motherfucker. Right. Seriously. You are not good enough to make the. Uh, when he was 10, they were like, oh, oh, maybe shit. next yeah. year. Yeah. <laughs> you ready? Hey, congrats on uh, finding a goal as a child and then making it happen, what, in six months? As a child. Yeah. I mean, how old? <laughs> when did you first get on a skateboard? 
Uh, I first got a skateboard when I was four years old. Both me and my brother got a skateboard for Christmas, and my dad built us a mini ramp in the garage. Uh, so it took you seven years. What a loser. Jeez, dude. <laughs> Figure it out. What a loser, dude. It took you seven years to make it to the X Games. What were you doing? Were you guys just fucking around the first couple years you got it, or what? Uh, All right. What's up? Sorry, you cut out a little bit. My bad. Well, I was just saying, how come you didn't make it by the time you were eight years old? Yeah, what the I, hell? I heard a 10-year-old is in the X Games now. I don't know what that's all about. You're going to have to, I guess, uh, little Jagger's going to have to catch him. I just fully blew it, dude. I, I got to do better. <laughs> I mean, let's not talk about the negatives. Whenever no, he was eight no, years old right. not qualifying yeah. for the X Games like a fucking loser. Kind of let's talk about <laughs> Jagger winning a bronze medal at the Olympics and sleeping on cardboard box beds. Whenever you were, I assume, Tony Hawk, did you get a chance? You've known him probably your whole life now at this point. He's still very involved in the entire sport. He was over there in Tokyo. That massive moment of it being in the Olympics, him being one of the pioneers and also on the call, I think. Was there a cool moment there with Tony? Is he? It feels like he is one who has dedicated his entire life to skateboarding now at this point. Is there any cool moments with Tony or is, is he somebody that maybe isn't in your realm or in your world at all? Oh, no, dude, there's so many incredible moments with Tony. And I and Tony deserves to be there more than all of us. I mean, Tony has pioneered competitive skateboarding. I mean, you look back at what his dad did for him and, and putting on contests, and now him being able to skate the park there. And, like, we all, like, watched him skate park while we're skating street. Like, it was just it was surreal having him there. And one really cool moment was I was actually scared the first day to skate that big section, and Tony came skating over with his phone, and he's like, hey, Jagger, hit a switch back over, Kirk, on the rail. And I'm like, oh, God, I cannot say no to Tony right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I go, all right, you know what, let's do it. And I just ran and, like, sent it. And it, was, it was pretty funny. It was actually the first big trick I did on that rail. Was it when he was filming? Was he filming it? Because I saw a video of him, like, skating and filming as well. It feels like he's, like, a, a kid almost. Like, in the, it, it is awesome to kind of watch that thing. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was filming. He was filming like me and Nigel and Jake, and he was filming all of us. But it was just epic because you know what I felt like the Olympics did. I felt like the six-year-old and all of us was just like screaming. Like we were all just like fanning out by the opportunity that we even have the chance to put our wheels down on these courses. And like it was just like so epic. All right, dude. I gotta go tighten my trucks. All right. <laughs> I'll talk to you later, man. All right, dude. Hey, where's the beach at? Uh, bro. <laughs> well, let me hop on and go do east, bro. All right. Hey, hey, what do you got today? Are you going to get on a skateboard again? Or are you trying to catch up to the time? Tokyo time change is insane. It took me like 10 days. I was waking up like 1, 2 a.m. for like a week straight. Are you still in the middle of that? And what's on the, what's on the plate next? Oh, I, I am fresh in the middle of jet lag right now as we speak. But, um... What's next for me? Well, I, I'm just going to chill and beat my dad in golf probably a few times in Arizona. And, um, yeah, man, just relax now. It's time. I, I, need, to, I, I, need, a, I need a rest. Uh, my ankle's about to be better and just take some time. Yeah, it's about to be better after winning the bronze on it broken. Yeah. <laughs> Jagger, your life is wild. Are you a great athlete, huh? Golf, everything else? You play everything else as well? Uh, well, I was a kid that uh, got uh, golf clubs and shoes and everything when I was 15 for Christmas, and I hated it. Yeah. And then when I was 18, I realized that I've broken too many bones and I, I can't skate like almost every day because I'll destroy myself is when I started really loving golf because I can get that mental aspect of it. Yeah, I think we all kind of... 
athletes, I think, normally when they're younger, this is terrible. What are we doing? I'm here all day. It's long. It's boring. And then as you get older, it's like, oh, this sport is awesome. This is incredible. <laughs> it's hard to do and take care of. I assume you'll master it in the next couple of years like you did with skateboarding when you started at four and competed in the X Games at 11. Ladies and gentlemen, bronze medal winner in the Tokyo Olympics, Olympic medalist, Jagger Eaton. Congrats. Yeah. Hey, so sorry to interrupt this conversation. That's cooking right now. Yes, it is cooking. Uh, everyone always talks about how important it is to get a good night's rest, don't they? Mm-hmm. Hey, you need a good, good night's sleep. I didn't get a great night's sleep last night. And it was, by the way, this morning we could tell, but then the energy of the day kind of mm-hmm. got after it. But people for your entire life have been saying, hey, make sure you sleep well. Hey, get a good night's sleep. Need to get a good night's sleep. Make sure you get a good night's sleep tonight. But it's not always as easy as people just saying, get a good night's sleep, especially if you're like me, where your mind is always thinking, mind is always going. Maybe you're thinking about tomorrow. Maybe for whatever reason, you just can't fall asleep. That happens to a lot of us. And CBDMD has come through with something called CBDPM that puts you out like a light. Like a light. Slip through the flight. That's why the folks at CBDPM created CBD. Our CBDMD created CBDPM to help you get the rest you deserve and feel your best every morning. CBDPM blends 500 milligrams of superior CBD with sleep-promoting ingredients like melatonin, what? valerian root, what? and chamomile to create a powerful and effective sleep aid. So whether you're up late with the kids, pets, or existential dread, you can turn to CBDPM and get the rest you need to handle anything that comes your way. I use it. Nick is a big-time proponent of it. Uh, I believe there's a couple others in the office that use it on a nightly basis. Some guys get into it whenever they need to reset their sleep cycle. But I've been very thankful for CBDMD, CBDPM. Uh, it's something I, I legitimately use. I think you will enjoy it as well if you're not a great sleeper. But also CBDMD has a bunch of other products, whether it's uh, for soreness, mm-hmm. uh, for anything else. I mean, they legitimately got a bunch of CBD, superior CBD products. And right now you can get 25% off your next order. It's almost a, a quarter there, dude. Damn near. When you go to CBDMD.com, CBDMD.com, and you use promo code McAfee, M-C-A-F-E-E, you'll get 25% off your purchase of high-quality CBD oil products from CBDMD. Big thanks to CBDMD for being a hell of a partner with this show and also for creating products that directly affect my life, like the sleep one, because if not, I'm up all goddamn night. Back to the show. Now joining us is the walking talking enshrinement of the hall of fame of the greatest league on earth one week from today players on nfl rosters will play football against each other on television we've had a long off season in the first week of nfl football we get to see is not only a celebration that the next season has come but a celebration of all the great things that have been the hall of fame game one week from today representing that All day, every day, ladies and gentlemen, David Baker. Great great to be with you, man. Uh, Great to hear all the good things you're doing, how good your show's doing. I apologize. I'm overdressed. I should have worn my tank top. Well, listen, 
If you wore a tank top, I think people will be asking if you want to get back on the field. I got a chance to see you up close and personal, David Baker, whenever we had the Hall of Fame game, and then obviously there was the pain issue. You came into that locker room to tell us, like, hey, here at the Hall of Fame, we love the players, we look out for the players, that we're literally the only entity that is 100% for the players. It wouldn't be right for you to guys to go on the field and play tonight or whatever. It was very, very professional, very gentleman of you, and you were standing next to me while delivering that speech. And I remember going, well, I'll, <laughs> can we get this guy out of the head of the Hall of Fame and get him on our goddamn offensive line? That's what I was thinking the entire time. Mr. Baker, you've done a hell of a job with the NFL Hall of Fame, sir. Well, thank you, Pat. You know, that was kind of my best, my worst day and my best day at the same time. And I've never really talked about this publicly, but, you know, when we, you know, when we canceled that game, it was frankly a painful decision, but it was an easy decision to make because our first tenant here at the Pro Football Hall of Fame is to honor the heroes of the game. And if we can't keep you safe, we're not honoring it. And I don't know if you recall, but we had a whole lot of angry fields, oh. fans. I'm sweating through my uh, oh, yeah. my suit out there. It's like 100 degrees. <laughs> I have been on media. And what the coolest thing was, uh, we were going to still have Aaron Rodgers was kind enough to talk to people. Uh, Oliver Luck talked to people. You guys lined up. Uh, so that we could at least give the fans something. The fans booed me. I mean, they booed, <laughs> booed me. And, and, and they should have booed me because it, it, we weren't, we weren't uh, playing the game. But the coolest thing maybe to happen in my career was I looked back and all the players who had lined up, I don't know if you remember, but they were applauding the decision that was being made. Yes. And, and I had a son that played in the league for eight years with Atlanta. Uh, he was not a punter or a kicker. He was a lineman, okay? Oh, yeah. Left tackle for Atlanta, Sam Baker. And... Um, I, I kind of finally got home that night at about two o'clock and I'm still sweating and, and I put my phone down and um, I'll always remember it kind of buzzed because I got a text and my son had flown home. He just landed at the airport and found out what happened. And uh, he texted me, he says, hey, dad, he says, uh, just landed. He says, I got 50 texts from NFL players who respect the heck out of what you did. Yes. And and And, and it is about you guys. It is about keeping everybody safe. So. Um, I, I'd like to think that was both my worst and best days in, in one day. Well, I want to let you know, as a player, it was your best day, I think, because it was literally – I didn't know that was your decision, by the way. I thought other people were potentially making that decision because I remember going out on the field, and I think at that point Aaron was already down on the field. There was already groups of people having conversations around the field, and everybody was like, okay, now who's going to make this decision? You know, Because there were still people that wanted it to, to happen, obviously, because it's a big deal. But you stepping up for us – I think the players will never, ever forget it. We're very thankful for it. And the fans that booed in the moment, hindsight, look back and say, hey, good move. Let's talk about next week, though, Dave. Hey, this sure. a, hey, we got a big week coming up. Where are you at right now? I know your Zoom call in the Hall of Fame, but are, is everything, is the hay in the barn already? Do you have any more work before next week's big festivities, or what do we got to figure out? We're going to have the first full stadium for football in 18 months. Yeah! Let's go! It's going to be on Fox, the Cowboys and the Steelers. And then we've got the gold jacket dinner the next night. We got the fifth biggest parade in the United States in this little place called Canton. And then we've got the enshrinement for the Centennial class, which was going to be last year, uh, 20 guys for 2020. Uh, and it's an incredible class of, of Hall of Famers, uh, undoubtedly the best ever. And now we've got the class of 2021 that will be enshrined on Sunday night. And uh, this is going to be special. I, I truly believe, Pat, that it's going to be one of the greatest gatherings in football ever.
I've I've heard about some of the parties that are being prepared. I'm not sure yeah. if you get any heads up on those beforehand, but Jim Ursay actually said, brother, do whatever. He said, they're asking me for DJs, they're asking me for this, and Jim Ursay's like, for Peyton and Edge, do whatever the hell you want. Do you know about the festivities that are happening afterwards? Do they have to run that by you, or is that all kind of private? You do whatever you got to do. Well, those are private parties, but we have the other stuff. It all coordinates together, uh, certainly with the uh, Canton Police, the Sheriff's Department, the NFL Security, and the FBI. But uh, <laughs> but it's a good time. I, I mean, it really is, a, a, I'll tell you, a cool event. I always felt that the best Super Bowls were at those small cities, like Indianapolis. That was a super cool Super Bowl because the game was almost bigger than the city, and it merged together. That's what happens in Canton. And we've got Paul Tagliabu being enshrined, who was a commissioner for a long time. So all the people that built the league are coming to this. It's going to be a really special time. I'd love to have you here. If you want to, you can stay at my house. Wow. <laughs> oh, David. I Wow. I, hey, the head of the Hall of Fame's house in Canton, Ohio, is probably pretty nice. Yeah, not, <laughs> don't get probably chances. pretty nice if I had to guess. All the hard work he's done, he had to. I mean, this guy's made a lot of big-time decisions, and his yeah. house is probably yeah. big. All right, I think I got to. All right, I think I have. That's something I have to do, have a sleepover at David Baker's house. I think I I have to do that. I will follow up with you on that. Uh, But let's talk about your job because we said this as we let in here, but it's real. You are the walking, talking, basic depiction of the Hall of Fame of the greatest league on earth. Whenever you show up, everybody's like, oh, something." you're like Santa Claus for legends. When you show up at their house, uh, some dream came true. And for NFL fans, when we say it's like, oh, something's happening with a legend here, something's going on. Is that a lot of pressure? Do you understand that? Or do you not view it that way at all? Listen, I think it's the greatest job in the world. And I take it very seriously. I mean, when I go to Burger King, when I pick up my food at the window, at the drive-thru, the lady goes, am I going into the Hall of Fame? (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of like being Ed McMahon in some respect, the old publishing clearinghouse. But I do think, you know, um, we take it real seriously. When I go knock on the door, um, I've done it about 80 times now, and, you know, for Peyton Manning or for Edge, and, you know, these guys, uh, they're not thinking how much money they're going to make. They're thinking about their mom that drove them to practice, or they're thinking about... uh, a dad that believed in him and wouldn't let him quit or a coach or teammates like you that helped them get there. And, and it's almost like you can see their entire career flash before them. And I, all I do is I tell them they're going to Canton. I, I thank them for all they've done and are going to do for the game. And then lastly, you know, I, I say that we're going to guard their legacy forever here at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. That bronze bust will last for 40,000 years here. And by the way, I want you to know this, Pat. Um, it's not just the Hall of Famers that we guard their legacy here. You having played in the league for eight years, have an archive here. And when you come here and stay at my house, uh, I want you to come to the Hall of Fame. We'll pull your archive and you'll see what we got. And then you can add to that archive so that a thousand years from now, your descendants can come here and and look at this and say, this is what it is. And And I truly believe, I know you have a lot of fun with it and we're kind of the guardians of the history of the game. But I'll tell you, uh, people don't understand that, that we all think that Peyton Manning or uh, Troy Polamalu or Pat McAfee, that you fell out of bed great. <laughs> and not one of them did. You know, not one of them did. They had to battle. They had to fight. They had to go through injury. They had to. And, and the values that you relied on, the commitment, that time when you felt like you were bigger than your own self because you were part of a team and a part of a group, we've seen that come into play with soldiers and police officers and, and fire officers and teachers and 
moms and dads. And I really believe that those values, it's kind of this ecumenical church of football. Uh, it, it is bigger than just the entertainment of the game. And the entertainment of the game is a lot of fun. Yeah. But um, our job is to give you, we have a thing, the good people of Canton, uh, you know, Canton's done more. There's The NFL has done a lot of good for a lot of cities. But no city in the world has done more for the NFL than Canton, Ohio, where the game began in 1920. And by the way, that was in the aftermath of the Spanish flu pandemic of 1918 and 1919. Now, 101 years later, we're starting again. But they raised $12 million, Pat. And um, what they're doing, uh, what they've done is build this park, a two-acre park called Centennial Plaza. And in that park, there's these pylons for every decade. And we have the name of 25,474 players who played in the first century of the NFL, including Pat McAfee. Well, wait, wait a minute, David. So I'm in there twice. I'm, I'm in Centennial <laughs> Park and I'm in the, and I'm in the building. This you is... got an archive and then you got a place downtown. Okay. Oh, okay. And, and your and, house. And, and, and my house. Okay. <laughs> I, you know, I want you to, you know, I want you to use the wastebasket for the beer can. It's hard for a kicker sometimes because they, you know, it's sometimes it's wide right. Yeah, well, the punt too is could be a problem. But the um, David Baker, the the by the way, very cool. How serious, and I think that is why the Hall of Fame is held in such high regard. And I think the fans love it. I mean, anytime a player retires who played for a long time, if somebody says, "Hey, this guy," the immediate speculation is, "Is he Hall of Famer or not?" Which is the ultimate goal, ultimate dream for a lot of guys. And then fans who hold the Hall of Fame in such high regard come in, they're like, "No, it's not the Hall of Good." You know, like this is the Hall of Fame. You got to earn it. So I wanted to ask you, and it sounds like you already answered that question. You might already know what I'm going to ask you. The archive thing. I view the Hall of Fame, and you do as well, 40,000, as like a celebration of the game. For some of these players who maybe will not get in or whatever, is there a place for them aside from the arc? Like, for instance, Phillip Rivers. Yeah. 17 years starting quarterback in the NFL. That is mind-boggling. You ask any player, I think they'd be like, that's a Hall of Famer. If a guy starts for that long and has won that much and everybody goes, oh, he didn't win a Super Bowl. And then Julian Edelman, uh, well, he had all those accolades in the Super Bowls and stuff, but he didn't have the regular season yards. It's like that that whole, that's a conflict. That's huge on who gets in and who doesn't get in, especially with how important that place is. Is that something you have to think about? And is that why the archive and everything is kind of developed? And will you continue to do such a thing? Pat, we work on this all year round. I mean, the minute this enshrinement over, we will start working on next year. And that's not only players, it's coaches and contributors. Uh, it's seniors, and there's a senior committee. Uh, but let me tell you, there have been 330 million young men, that, and now women, by the way, that have played this game. Uh, there's only 5 million that played it in college like you did at West Virginia. Oh, my God. Uh, there's only 29,000 who've ever been to, paid to play it, coach it, or officiate it, or administer it in the National Football League. And today, here at the Hall, we have only 335 bronze bust. So it's an extreme level of eliteness. It's, it's respectfully, it is not the hall of really, really good. It's the hall of fame. But I, I will tell you that I truly believe that every guy who plays in the NFL, even for a week, is a hero in his community. And he's a hero to some other heroes, like those police officers or soldiers. Uh, you know, at this year's enshrinement, we'll have three recipients of the Congressional Medal of Honor. And when I introduce them, Pat, I guarantee you, it will be with our Hall of Famers there. Every Hall of Famer will be on their feet. Yeah. But you know what? 
the only thing they'll want to do is meet the Dallas Cowboys or the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah. You know, they get inspired by that. But that's why we have this personal player legacy archive. And uh, there's guys like, you probably know Bart Oates, who's the president of the uh, NFL alumni. Okay. Bart's an incredible guy, played center, uh, has five championships with three teams in two different leagues. That's a pretty good record. But he's not in the Hall of Fame. But when we pulled his archive and put it out there, man, he's grabbing his camera. He wants to take pictures of it. He had tears in his eyes. And, and again, I want you to know, real seriously, I'm not having fun or anything like that. I want to have fun with you, but we can do that when you come to the house. No. Real seriously. Okay. Um, you know, what you did in building this league, you play a role in that. You You worked at that, and so did the guys you played with. And they've inspired other people. And our job is to honor your legacy, every guy that plays. So if you play in a, a, a week in the National Football League, you have an archive here at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And if you played in the first century, your name is inscribed forever down at Centennial Plaza. Hey, that's a lot of pressure on you, David Baker, okay? Because there's a lot of people that played one week in the NFL. <laughs> yeah. now, now, listen, it is the elite of the elite, but that's a lot of pressure. And I want to let you know, when I come check out that archive, I will probably have some, like, I'll probably get a bit emotional watching it. I'm sure my dad would lose his mind for it. It's very cool that you think about those type of people. And thankfully... You guys finally put it, and Ray Guy and I have our own differences because of his award that he gave out to the wrong person my senior year, but <laughs> thankfully you guys put a punter in there, too. Let's go ahead and hey, get that. Hey, let's get that thing going. You know, the full, you know what I mean? That's a big deal. We, we, we got a punter. We got a couple kickers. John Stinnerud, Morton Anderson, and uh, w when we did Morton Anderson, I told him I would represent his gold jacket, his bronze bust, and his ring uh, in Denmark, You know where he left as a 10th grade exchange student come over here he goes back 40 years as the all-time leading scorer at that time uh of the nfl and um i gotta tell you uh, pat it was just as cool there as it was here yeah. every camera in denmark was there uh the entire every adult within 30 miles was there and, and i didn't understand what was being said but when you're <laughs> giving them the gold jacket or you know presenting the bronze bust i mean guys are crying and it, it's important and but again i i think i think that's what the game does uh, the game is, you know, I get in trouble for this sometimes because I have great respect for our teachers, but I've never gone back to my chemistry teacher or my calculus teacher when I needed some advice in life. I went back to a coach. And that coach, um, while that education was important, that coach teaches you how to get up when you get knocked down and how to go on when you don't think you can go on or how to keep your marriage together or survive the divorce. Um, and, and I think that's a lot of what, you know, if you get beyond the money in the NFL, and I understand it's a business, you get beyond the money, that's what it really is. Yeah, football. It, it, you, it's a team. It's your coach. It's becoming more than you are. And, um, you know, so I'd love to show you your archive. We probably should edit it sometimes. <laughs> uh we may want to censor a few things. Oh, okay. I understand, and I appreciate that. And thank you for all that you've done for the game and the sport and the league. I'm excited to see that thing continue to grow. Go ahead, Ty. David, you talked about this being a dream job, which I assume it is. How did you get this position? Were you selected or, like, appointed? Because I know you were in politics, you know, in, in California before you did this. Like, how did this come about? How did you even get this opportunity? Yeah, I, I, listen, I was uh, – uh, commissioner of the arena football league when it was flying high for about 12 years oh. um, you know one of the guys i would meet with regular my con my, my contact at the nfl was commissioner goodell 
um, the board of directors here, and, and understand too, this is an important thing. Um, the Pro Football Hall of Fame is a not-for-profit institution. It has a separate board of directors. We get about 3% of our money from the NFL. We make it from the tickets we sell for these events. We make huh. it from philanthropists. We have partners that sponsor what we do. Um, but uh, they did a national search, and uh, the commissioner actually bet that I would never come, <laughs> uh, one of uh, the chairman at the time. And... Um, and frankly, I will tell you something. It was kind of interesting because I was traveling to see my son at Atlanta at the time when he played with the Falcons. And when they offered me the position, I uh, respectfully turned it down. I thought it was a wonderful thing, but I was doing something else that I thought was bigger at the time. And um, and I, at the end of the day, I sent the job description to my wife and I said, hey, you'll never guess what happened today. And then I erased it. Uh, she called me back about 15 minutes later. She said, hey, we're going to go do this. And we're, we're from Newport Beach, Irvine, California. And, and uh, I said, well, sweetheart, you know, in my most condescending term, I've already turned it down. She said, you can call them back. And um, I said, well, sweetheart, we got this big project we're working on. She said, yeah, but you got partners that can take that over. And I said, sweetheart, I don't know if you know this, but it's cold in Ohio. It's cold <laughs> it's never been in your life. And to her great credit, she said, um, have you read this thing? And I said, no, I hadn't even read it. She said, you better read this because this is what you believe. And, uh, you know, my mom and dad were really good, hardworking people. My dad worked in a lumberyard. My mom, her only gift was keeping other kids. They couldn't read or write. Um, and if it wasn't for sports, I wouldn't have gone to college. I wouldn't have had a chance to travel around the world and do things and, and, and frankly, be with guys like you. And, you know, and so to me, I really do think that sometimes sports uh, gets a bad reputation in, in, in colleges and education. But I think there's a lot of values there. And you know what? My wife was right. Yeah. Uh, been a great <laughs> I'd say. I, and you've done a hell of a job. And shout out to your wife, by the way. Big shout out to uh, Mrs. Baker for uh, forcing <laughs> David Baker into doing this job that you have done fantastically. I think that's one you regret forever, huh? You don't do it? Probably. Well, it's a great job. I, I um, you know, again, I think somebody else will do it better than me when that time comes. Oh, oh come on. on. Hey, hey, guys, stop. They, they, they're, uh, they're probably not going to be 400 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> hey, maybe. I don't know. Offensive linemen got big brains, dude. Go ahead, Connor. Yeah, Mr. Baker, for the guys like Adam Vinatieri, Bill Belichick, who, are, who were still in the league or still are, but you know they're going to be in the Hall of Fame, do you start making their bust just because you're anticipating, all right, these guys will be in here someday? Yeah, you know what? I, I tell you, we, we have a five-year waiting limit. And I think it's really important for that five-year waiting limit to take place because once you, frankly, it's hard for guys to leave the NFL. And I saw that in my son and and, and Pat. I'm sure you experienced it. It's tough. Yeah, it, 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 it's a different world. And when you leave it, all of a sudden you're gone. And, and and I think guys need to let their legacy and their career settle. And, and because again, when I you know. Peyton Manning took 10 seconds to be selected. I mean, yeah, what took so long? What took so long? Mike Chappell took the microphone. I called on him for the presentation. He said, Peyton Manning, and he dropped the mic. (laughs) 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 Um, But his wife, Ashley, helped us with the knock on the door. We went to Mile High Stadium, and I don't know if you saw it, but his his youth coaches were on the jumbo screen. His high school coaches were on the jumbo screen. His college coaches from Tennessee, his – NFL coaches were all there. And when I told him he was in the Hall of Fame, respectfully, it wasn't this polished marketing 
NFL veteran that's 45 years old, at that moment, the guy I was talking to was eight years old or 10 years old that started that journey. And he remembers all the shoulders of the guys he's standing upon. And I've seen it over and over and over again. So it's, it's, a, it's a special moment. But again, I think it's, you know, it, it may be different. You may not have a bronze bus, Pat, uh, or a gold jacket. One day. Um, but it's, I think a lot of guys in this game, it's, a, it's an elite level of excellence to have made it that far. And I think by keeping their legacy alive, we're doing a lot for the kids in the future. I think so, too. And uh, with the bus conversation, you know, and when you start making them, who was – somebody had – Dion's? No, Dion's was – somebody had – Oh, someone's was – Dion yeah. had a uh, – th- there was one that was not fantastic. And normally the artist is unbelievable. How is that process one that it is – Long, strenuous, is that easy? Is that the hardest part of that thing? Because what you said, that bus is staying for 40,000 years or something. Like That's a long, long time. I mean, let's hope. Uh, we don't know yeah, what's going please. on. I mean, uh, me and David Baker are not the right people to get in that conversation. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, uh, the bus, that's a big deal. And then when those things get debuted, I think there was only one that I do recall where everybody was like, what the hell? That, is, look, like that doesn't look like him at all. <laughs> Aside from that, is that process the most strenuous and longest part of this whole thing? Well, it's one of many. We have four icons that we give guys. One is the bronze bust, and that is done by a gentleman named Blair Buswell, who is a nationally renowned artist, and he has a team of people in Utah. And it we, we start the day after the Super Bowl when we uh, kind of reveal these guys to the nation on the honor show, and it take eight months to get this thing ready. And they see it for the first time when they unveil it, like in this next week. They'll see it for the first time. Um, but we also have the gold jacket that is done by Hager uh, that is presented on Friday night, and they walk the gauntlet of all the Hall of Famers. And I remember when Kurt Warner was up there, and Kurt's a guy I knew in the Arena Football League, so oh, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, he, he got up uh, as he's about to walk through the gauntlet, and he says, oh, my God, these are all my heroes. And, and you walk that gauntlet to get your gold jacket. Um, John Stallworth said, when he put on the gold jacket, it was like him wrapping himself in the history of the league from the first time they laced up a pigskin to the presentation of the last Lombardi. Um, and, and then we give the Ring of Excellence, uh, which is given in the fall in their stadium. It actually has their bronze bust on the side of the ring, so it can't be made until after the bronze bust is done. And, and then we give one more when they die. And, and I'll tell you, the, the, the biggest surprise to me is how many funerals I've been called on to speak at. I mean... Uh, you know, good Lord, I did uh, Chuck Bednarik's funeral or Bart Starr's funeral. Uh, who would have ever thought that, that, yeah. that you'd be in that situation? But um, we give present them with a medallion, and it's called the Memorial Medallion. And it just says, Pro Football Hall of Fame, Canton, Ohio, forever. Oh, And that's why we take that. It's serious. Uh, let me just share one other. You mentioned Bill Belichick. Go ahead. Uh, when Bill was here, he was here for Ty Law's enshrinement. And I told him I was thinking about putting him on the the, uh, uh, the, the blue ribbon committee for the centen- the guys that were going to pick the centennial in Chinese. And uh, he's a great respecter of history. And, and and I said, but the problem is, Bill, it's going to be in January, and I think you're going to be busy in the playoffs. <laughs> and he said, he says, no. He says, really? He says, put me on it. Please put me on it. I promise I'll make the time. Now, he kind of lost in the second week, but he was in 30 hours of phone calls. When we had the final selection day, he came a day early to go through our archives 
to look at the old guys like Duke Slater and Max Speedy and all that stuff. At the end of the time when, you know, um, you know, uh, Ernst and Young are, are counting the votes and getting ready to give me the envelope, he stands up and he says, hey, I just don't want all of you to know. And this is our distinguished selection committee, really impressive people. He says, to be here in this place for this duty on this day, he says, this has been what, just the best day of my life. Wow. And this is a guy who has eight rings already. And so uh, there's a lot of people who care about the game. And when you, when you do come here, Pat, we can show you how the tight end got started and uh, you know who did the first shotgun and all the history of the game. I think you'll, you'll enjoy it. Yeah, I'll absolutely love it. And I bet uh, Sirius Hour 2-3 will be on the other side of the six-minute break. The uh, We're still live on YouTube. The... Um, the thought of Bill Belichick wanting to do that while also doing football, he was probably trying to find plays in there. Oh, yeah. He was like, oh, this Going is giving back. me a reason to go back and find some damn yeah. plays. And then they started running that superpower with Cam. It's uh-huh. like, oh, he was watching film on the Centennial team. This guy. Uh, David, we can't thank you enough for your time. Good luck next week. It's going to be a massive week. I will reach out about sleeping at your house for sure. Yeah, make sure it's when I'm home. I don't want you there with my wife alone. Okay, okay. <laughs> hey, I, I promise I'm an honorable man, but I understand what this sentiment. Ladies and gentlemen, David Baker. Thank you, David. Lucky. Lucky to do it. I'm lucky to do it. Cheers, man. Can't thank you enough for allowing us to be a part of your day. Yesterday when I signed off, I said, hey, hey, tomorrow's show is going to be a good one. Did I lie? Nope. David Baker, dude, Jagger Eaton, Usain Bolt, bro. Come on. Hopefully we follow it up with a beautiful feel-good Friday manana. Please be a friend, tell a friend, hashtag in a pod squad. I appreciate all of you so, so much. Ty, please play some independent music and propel these people into a beautiful Thursday night. We'll see you manana.